Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Veterans Care Association and Timor Awakening podcast. The Timor Awakening program is an 11-day immersive, holistic and peer-to-peer veterans program based in East Timor that has a singular vision, which is to promote the health and well-being of veterans and veterans' families. Due to the current restrictions from COVID-19, we are running slightly abridged programs on the Gold Coast uh, with the same vision and same aim. We're using these opportunities to sit down with our participants one-on-one and conduct podcast interviews to capture their story and their lessons learned and things that we can all learn from uh, as we as veterans and wounded healers move through our own journey and help others do the same. We're going to be covering a whole range of topics including defence transition, mental health, relationships, veteran suicide, PTSD and post-traumatic growth. Whether you're out and about or listening to this at home or driving in your car, we do trust that you'll learn a lot by listening to our participants. Thank you and enjoy. So welcome ladies and gentlemen, my name is Michael Albrecht, I'm one of the group facilitators on the Timor Awakening program. We are at the commencement of TA15 on the Gold Coast and uh, just using the opportunity in between some of the breaks to sit down with um, not only the participants but also some of the staff. We have uh, had the opportunity to sit down and actually capture the stories and insights of some of our staff who have been here for, for a few years now. So uh, joining me today I have Simon Wilson. Good afternoon, Michael. Right, it's uh, awesome to have the chance to sit down and have a chat with yourself. Uh, welcome to TA15. Thanks, mate. Great to be here. Awesome, man. Well, um, look, I guess uh, first and foremost, what we'll do is explore a little bit about yourself and your kind of background, because you are one of the few staff, or potentially maybe the only staff, that's not actually a veteran yourself, uh, which I think is awesome because it brings other perspectives that we all don't have. So a little bit about your background, mate, if you don't mind. Uh, background in uh, education, um, for 25 years I've uh, uh, been a school teacher, um, history teacher uh, in the early days. Uh, in the last decade I've been more of a behaviour specialist, uh, but uh, it was my, uh, I guess, love of history uh, that took me to uh, Timor um, in 2005, uh, I think I might have been one of the first guys to introduce studies of uh, East Timor into the modern history curriculum and uh, thought it would be uh, I better go and have a look and um, see how the place rolled. Um, and uh, it was an amazing first trip and uh, it wasn't to be the last. So what uh, what drew you to go there? I mean, uh, it seems like a pretty, you know, especially for, I mean, 2005, I guess that was just prior to kind of the second big thing, you know, events that happened in Timor in the last sort of 15, 20 years. What, what, what inspired a uh, history teacher to hightail it to East Timor all by yourself? Uh, I've never been really one to just teach through a textbook. Yeah, I yeah. prefer to teach through uh, my own experiences and share them with um, students. And um, I've not been one to, to shy away from uh, difficult places uh, to yeah. travel. And it's very close, so... Yeah. You know, an hour from Darwin, um, easy peasy, and uh, uh, I landed and uh, I went uh, straight to Hotel Turismo, which is oh, a very, very <laughs> historical uh, yep. hotel. A lot of uh, water under the bridge there. Yeah, so I, I went straight there and uh, that was the only plan I had, was to arrive and go to Hotel Turismo and, and see what uh, transpired from there. And, nice. um, fortunate, fortunately, I met a lot of uh, amazing people. Uh, people most of them uh, australian military there was of course the un contingent so yep. U- un police and, and military from all over the world so dili was a, was a thriving uh, metropolis uh, with so many people from around the world it was it was a buzzing um, 
little city, mm. uh, but you didn't have to travel far out of Dili to to see uh, still the remnants of the destruction of uh, 1999. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we'll, we'll come back to the Timor piece in a minute. I'm kind of curious how well received was your efforts to get into the curriculum at that point? Like, what? how did you approach that and how was it received by the rest of the yeah, cool. um Education Queensland community. Oh, look, it was just a there was a new new syllabus, and uh, I think the option was we could uh, we could choose to um, study Indonesia, and uh, I just took the angle. Well, East Timor uh, was annexed by Indonesia, so I, I uh, we we wrote a bit of a, a unit based around that. Cool. Okay. Is that still being sort of taught to students to this day? Oh, God knows what they're doing now, mate. <laughs> I, I haven't been involved in curriculum for 15 years. Right, okay, and I, cool. I, I, that, that was yeah. That's all in the past. I'm more in, interested in uh, behaviour. Yeah, cool. cool. All right, and so going back to the team or piece, that's when you met Michael Stone, is that right? You yeah, yeah, I was on the, the first trip um, uh to Timor after after I'd uh, had a few days in Hotel Turismo uh, I checked into the hotel at the back, which was... Um, you might think you're putting in a marketing plug for them, mate. Yeah, the name escapes me, but it was just a bunch of uh, uh, dongers uh, yeah. that were put together and um, it was Hotel Ventura. I don't think it exists anymore, but uh, um, yeah, I think it was at the hotel bar one day I met uh, Michael Stone um, and uh, yeah, he, everyone... Uh, that was staying at that uh, place was a uh, military or UN police of some kind. There wasn't really any tourists, so everyone just assumed I was some sort of um, uh, service personnel. Uh, and I think uh, I chatted, uh, had a chat with Michael, and um, I think he was impressed that um, somebody came to Timor to, to find to learn about the the, the history in in, uh, in that particular time. And he uh, was very generous with his time. He had had some time off and. Uh, he showed me around Timor to some amazing places. Um, took me to an orphanage up in the mountains in Glenow, the Hope Orphanage, and, and he opened up a lot of uh, doors and, and opportunities on that trip. Uh, and uh, both being from Brisbane, I guess we kept in touch and we, we just uh, became friends from, from that point. Cool. And then uh, your, f- your first program was TA4, is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So how um, how did that sort of unravel? He, he invited you to come on the program at that point, or how did? It yeah. Well, I was just previous to that. I'd been living um, in New York. I had a, had a gig there for a little while, and um, Michael came and stayed with me uh, in New York, New York for a little bit. And he told me that uh, you know he's he's getting uh, getting some programs together for to support veterans' uh, health and well being and operating in Timor and uh, I had returned from New York and by that time it was TA4 and he'd, he invited me to come along and, and I guess um, uh, maybe my um, teacher skills around um, managing a, a group and uh, and um, how to run group sessions uh, was useful and um, yeah, I've, I've done a few more since and uh, I'm, I'm uh, really humbled and... Uh, to be a part of such an amazing uh, program. And what was it that uh, specifically about working with veterans that appealed to you? It's a very specific and niched oh, thing to get all a part a, with. And they're a mob of mad bastards, firstly. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, 
they have a lot of rich stories. Uh, they're they're real and they're genuine, um, but they're also uh, they're damaged people to to some to some extent. Varying um, degrees. Yep. Damaged physically and 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 mentally from from their service. And um, if I can contribute in some uh, small way to to help um, to help veterans, and um, I'm I'm really humbled to be able to do that. What's been uh, what I'm always curious about is you know, an alternate perspective because I think that it's a bit of a it's a bit of a paradox in a lot of ways. There's this adage that uh, only a veteran can understand a veteran, and you know you have to walk down that path to have done it. And you know I'm a veteran myself, but at the same, and I think there may be some truth to that. But I think beyond that, what is also true is that you know if you are inside the jar, you can't see the wrapper, right? You can't see the label if you're inside the jar. Only someone from the outside can see it. So I'm always curious to know about someone's perspective who hasn't been in a defence at all, uh, is or has about you know, veterans, the ESO community, what's being done and what's not being done um, from someone like yourself who's got a background as a teacher. I'd be curious to know. That's a big, <coughs> big question. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I often uh, get mistaken as a veteran on Team Awakenings because it's it's a peer Ball support head. program, and I, <laughs> I I guess I tick a few veterans boxes. I'm yep. bald, uh, I'm deaf, <laughs> um, I like a drink. Um, yes, um, so you're saying all veterans are bald, deaf, and alcoholics? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, in my experience, most of them, yes. No. Um, uh, look, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm ha- I'd like to point out veterans on the Timor Awakenings. Just assume I'm a veteran, but mm-hmm. um, when they ask me where I serve, I, I tell them I'm I'm a civilian, and I see myself as a, an important link uh, between um, the veteran community and the uh, civilian community. Um, uh, I've always had a as a behaviour specialist a, a keen interest and in, and. In, in, uh, education in understanding uh, trauma and the um, insidious side effects yeah and, and the more that i've learned about uh, the circumstances of, of veterans particularly those that have experienced significant physical and uh, mental trauma is that um, they've copped a bit of a raw deal from the government i know that the, the army first the army um uh, or Navy and Air Force. And Navy, Air Force, yeah, Defence yeah. in general yeah. want to drop kick them out of the service as soon as they uh, have a physical or mental injury. Um, and then and then the horror stories that I've heard from uh, veterans about their dealings with uh, DBA and it's just not bloody good enough. These guys, uh, yourself, you put your hand up to serve, you don't get a choice where you serve and you're putting your life on the line, potential risk. And those that do have survived have broken bodies, sometimes broken minds, and then to be dumped by defence and then the government, um, it's it's bloody outrageous. And you know, look, this, this the civilian civilian community is way behind our veterans, um, but they don't have a, a, I guess, a broader understanding like like I've. I've learned in, mm. in, in years um, they, they, they're into the flag waving in Anzac Day and supporting them but um, we need to have more veteran stories out there uh, about the reality um, and the sacrifices uh, 
that they make and, and the consequences of the, that sacrifice that they've made to serve. Um, if those stories are starting to trickle out now and um, into the mainstream media, but we need more real stories about the raw deal that veterans have got. That's going to put more pressure on governments mm. to do more. I know there's a, a review into the way they're dealing with veterans at the moment, but we know politicians and their reviews, are, you know, wouldn't hold my breath. Um, but if more of this general Australian community knew more about the trauma, uh, they would be a lot more sympathetic and I think we'd get more action. And I think maybe that's where I fit in. People ask me about uh, my involvement with Timor Awaken- Awakening and um, I tell them, anyone that asks, I, I, I tell them everything I know and um, and people really want to know these stories and um, they want to be informed about um, what's happening inside the minds of uh, veterans and how they're being treated. And I think... General Australians would be horrified to know some of the treatment on mass that uh, veterans have had to deal with. Mm. Um, so I, I see myself as a as a link, someone who's sort of got a foot inside the the tent, um, and then I I tell anyone who wants to listen uh, uh, about veterans' needs. Yep. Yeah, and I've been on. A number of programs uh, with yourself and you bring a lot to the table but uh, rather than me sort of just saying what I've observed what do you think has been the most impactful uh, element of your background and education that you have brought on these programs um, that's really landed on veterans so far uh, I don't want to blow, blow my own trumpet too much but I'd like to think that um, I've been able to bring some uh Solid practice uh, to the table, you know, for example, uh, circle time and, yep. and, and how that's run and facilitated and um, using proper androgical uh, practices. You know. Just explain what andro- androgical practices are for those who may not be across So it. if you know what pedagogical is, that's um, uh, the way we teach children mm. So and how children learn yep. and androgical is how adults learn and... Um, most adults are um, self-directed learners, and mm. you get a you get a bunch of adults in a room, and they'll know eighty percent of the answers already. So you draw that out of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think the uh, officer sort of lecture style uh, thing. I don't I don't see that as being effective uh, because um, veterans are no longer in the army, and I'm sure they don't want to be. Mm. Um, Officered, I suppose, <laughs> um, or sergeanted, or corporal, or war officer. Does that matter? I guess it doesn't matter. It's just, yeah, it's that yeah, kind of, yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's that's what you've all learned. You know, old, mm. old habits died hard. So I like to think I can bring a different perspective yeah. around how yeah. uh, we manage a program in, in terms of um, good educational practice. And I've seen uh, just small things can have a big impact. And I've seen the program really evolve and. Um, I would like to think that you know my small input. I've had some impact in in that area. Yep. Um, and uh, for example, on this latest program, I, I see that Michael has built in um, some more uh, downtime and 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 more choice. And that downtime, after you know, seeing through some really important um, learnings around holistic health, uh, people need 
time to process that. Absolutely. And downtime is when your brain starts thinking about what you've just learned and then certainly overnight. So not packing too much, trying to achieve too much into a program or certainly don't be too heavy on in one any given day. Because that's not the military way. The military way is just go, 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 isn't it? It's just uh, you know cram as much as can in, as humanly possible. I think that's a yes, as I say, it's an old habit that dies hard. And there's a lot of energizer bunnies in the military <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, and I mean what we're talking about here is fine tuning. I mean, the program itself, as you already know, is uh, is already a standout program. There's, there's no two ways about it. But things can always be done better, and that, that's why I, that's one of the big reasons I wanted to interview you today was because. Uh, I'm a firm believer that outside perspectives can be very illuminating. You can learn a lot if you're just doing th- same things the same way you've always done them because the military taught you that's the way to do it. Uh, I'd challenge that because it might have worked decades ago or it might have worked for people who are still in the army or they're going through initial training and they need to tow the party line, they need to be um, inculcated with some sort of doctrine, sure. Um, but as you said, these guys are not in the army anymore. Yeah. 99% of them have gotten out. Maybe I should open up a school to teach them how to be civilians. <laughs> <laughs> but look, the program is is pretty amazing. And, I, and yeah. as I understand, it's, it's unique in Australia. There is yeah. no program that offers a complete holistic approach to veterans' health and, and well-being. And coupled with the fact that, that Michael Stone has an amazingly unique relationship with East Timor where he has access to the, lowly, to the lowest... Uh, uh, peasant up to the office of the president um, is testament to the kind of amazing individual he is and the amazing work that he did in Timor and how well respected he is. So that brings a, another unique element. But um, the holistic ap- approach to the, to this program um, is just uh, it's pretty amazing because I know a lot of the veterans programs, they focus on niche sort of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But this... Uh, really tries to, I guess, get vets thinking about um, improving their health and well-being in every aspect of their life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Relationships, mind, body, soul, spirit relationships. Um, Trying to encapsulate it all rather than doing what a lot of vet- veterans do, and I've done this myself, is just focus on being fit, you know, go run a marathon or something. I was like, well, that's good, but there's more to it than that. Yeah, and, and I think the other the other thing that the unique part of the program, which is, is developing – um, in the last couple of years is the um, the element of purpose. Um, mm. Veterans, have th- many of them thrown themselves into the purpose of help building uh, the REACT retreat, English yeah. school, for yep. example. And what an amazing achievement um, f- for Michael and the team uh, to have raised a lot of money and in a short period of time have built an English school, have got it staffed. I've got bigger plans, um, and this program has given many veterans a new purpose. Yeah, um, be that in Timor, or be that um, somewhere in Australia, in, in some part of their life, they're, they're going to find purpose in continued service. They're not only going to be serving in the army, but they can. Uh, many of the vets are finding purpose in serving others, which we know is fabulous for well-being. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that because you've you've done you've got a master's in education you've you've focused on well being you've done a whole range of things what let's just dig a little bit deeper on the on the purpose piece because I think you're right it's it's a huge thing for defence force members we tend to I think become a little bit reliant on the sense of purpose you get from defence but as soon as you're out of it that's kind of 
gone away. Is there anything else from your from your education stuff you've done so far you'd you'd add to that about how to find purpose once you've gotten out of you know, your previous environment? Yeah, that's a, a that's a big question. I I think we're all looking <laughs> for a purpose, yeah. but I guess I guess we don't know where to look. But I I, I would say you know just acting in the service of others every single day is is purpose that's a big point if um you're looking for a bigger purpose then you should find you should follow your passions so what are you passionate about how you can use your passions to help people um uh, to create purpose and, and and bring about positive positive change in the world um and it doesn't matter what you're doing whether you're uh, we've just seen today. We've had a visit from the the, the quilts of valor, yeah. And uh, whether you're, you know, a, a little old lady who's knitting quilts um, in front of the fireplace for a veteran, um, that's that's a life of purpose, you know, yeah. helping others, or um, whether you're, you know, as I said, building a school in Timor, um, uh, helping poorer communities, helping indigenous communities. Um, doesn't matter what it, what it is, but I mean, religion has taught us that. Jesus has taught us that. Not that I'm uh, not very religious, but um, a life serving others is going to bring about meaning to your life. Uh, for me, I found it in um, education. Yep. Um, there's no, nothing more important for a nation than to educate it. Um, and that served me well. Um, but uh, I'm looking for new, uh, new purpose, and, and Timor Awakening has given me uh, that purpose and uh, a future where I might spend more time in East Timor and, and helping with uh, Timorese development um, will be a purpose for me. Um, cool. So, so I, you know, but I guess the big trouble for veterans is that now that they're out of the army, they think they've lost their purpose. They think that they can't contribute anymore, but wow. What sort of skills do veterans bring to the table in the civilian world? So many more skills than any average civilian would have. Mm. Um, so many skills that they could bring to any job. Um, so that they, they should be highly, and they probably are highly sought after in all sorts of civilian roles. And mm. I guess when you, you lose your sense of identity by not being in there, then you think your purpose is gone, but it's certainly it's not. Absolutely, man. That's a you've hit on some really, really big points there. I think you've kind of raised something else for me there, and that's kind of circling back to a veterans' ability to communicate, because you're right. Veterans do have a lot of you know uh, transferable skills and good traits that are useful outside. But I sense that I've certainly observed it, and absolutely am an example of it myself. Because when I got out, I had no idea who I was, no idea how to sell myself, uh, no idea how to. Um, you know, communicate in a way that was going to lend itself to finding new employment in the beginning. Um, what do you think could be some of the biggest tips you'd have for veterans who are in that situation? They've, they've gotten out or they're about to and they do have lots of skills, but how to communicate that effectively, how to get that point, how to show that. And obviously, you know, we can all write a CV and so forth, but maybe a bit beyond that, like some of your observations that you've seen with veterans from your time. Um, what do you think could how could that be done better if you're going to rejoin the community uh, a civilian community let's face it many vets may have been overseas and long deployments mm. or in a naval ship on a 
away a lot of the time over the year. Land. And I, I guess the maybe a good way to do it is just jumping in, you know, get involved in your kids' football club, um, get involved in the uh, your kids' school, or if you don't have children, go and join your local club. Um, just get involved in your local community, and um, perhaps find some way that you can serve other other people uh, in your local community. Mm. In terms of communicating, um, I'm not really sure. Yeah, it sounds like what you what you've shared there is that it's important to be around other environments other than the military. Yes, yes. Well, I guess it's only natural um, when um, you leave the military that you get, you're going to uh, spend time with your former That's right. mates and friends or or that uh, you're in organisations that uh, lead you to um, socialise with purely veterans. Mm. Um, and that's good. That, that That's a really good thing uh, for your well-being to be around like-minded people of uh, similar experiences. But I would say... Um, you've left now. It's now time to find and make new experiences. Mm. Um, there are so many things that I bet most veterans have never done that the average civilians always always done. There's so many places they haven't been to because they've always been on active duty or service yep. somewhere. Yep. Um, go places you've never been. Do things you've never done. Experience new things. Mm. The the sky's the limit. And that's I can definitely. Uh, resonate with that because one of the things I found when I finally got out after 11 years was you can do stuff consistently now. You can go, if you want to commit to a class uh, that's twice a week, you can do that and you can commit to it for the entire year because you're not going anywhere, assumably, unless you're doing other work that's you know interstate or whatever. So that's, that's the cool thing. It's like, yes, getting out of defence is scary and, and, it's, uh, and it's difficult and you have to reinvent yourself, but the flip side of that is what are all the cool things never been able to do that you now can yeah and, yeah. and no one ordering you about when you're <laughs> while you're doing them yeah that's right yeah and, and i look i wonder like shouldn't the transition um programs that defense have be better um how, how do we better prepare um veterans for a life outside of mm. uh the military um I, I don't know the answers to that i think any one person does um, i don't think any one person has the answer to that but what I will say, if we're going to flog our service personnel on uh, back-to-back rotations in war zones, in places that we probably shouldn't even be in the first place, um, sorry, that's a bit political. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> soldiers you're allowed not, to have so, your soldiers are not political. You're allowed <laughs> to have that opinion, mate. But um, if we're going to flog them hard. Um, just to uh, appease our much bigger and stronger allies, um, then we need um, to spend more money on defence. We need to have more guys in the job. We need to be better at looking after them in the job and then when they're out of the job. Mm. Um, Absolutely, and I think a lot of that starts with the pre-game. I think defence is learning that more and more. It's like start preparing people for transition when they're in the services. Now, I'm not just talking about your two-day transition seminar where you go down and you learn about how hard oh. it is to get a job at Coles or whatever. But Box ticked. Yeah, that's right. It's like start teaching resilience practices and communication practices like the stuff you teach over in Timor. Well, teach I, it early. I believe that um, that's actually happened in the United States. Uh, the, the father of modern positive psychology, Martin Seligman, was um, uh, paid 
and his services for the US Army mm-hmm. to uh, try and, oh, I guess they were trying to PTSD proof their soldiers, but you know, that's not possible. Yeah. But you can certainly build um, more resilience in, into um, uh, people um, and to get them prepared for anything, I suppose. But yeah. Um, yeah, as I say, don't have all the answers, but all I know that um, if we're going to send our service personnel on really tough assignments back to back, we need to figure out a way to better support them in and out of the service. Well, mate, you're doing your part to support that, so thank you. Thanks, Michael. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We trust it's been valuable. If you've got any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us at support at veteranscare.com.au. And we do encourage you to share this podcast with anyone you feel really needs to hear it and keep a lookout for our next episode. Thank you.